Good to see all of you this morning, those of you in television land. Hello out there. We're continuing with our study of what is perhaps, at least from our personal experience, from our personal vantage point. Make sure you hear what I just said. From our personal vantage point and experience, we are studying what is perhaps the most significant attribute of God. I don't think many of us really are impacted too much about God's immutability in a general way. We don't get up every morning, is God still immutable? Will God be immutable today? Is God omniscient? Is he omnipresent? You know, we don't normally think of those things, do we? And if you think of those things regularly, no, once in a while it comes up, but it's not the centerpiece. What is the center attribute of our consideration, of our concern, of our uh, desire, etc.? What is it? God's love. God's love. In fact, if you listen to the music of the world, I don't know the percent, but A.J. is a musician. Would you say, A.J., maybe 80% of it is about love? People seeking love, unrequited love, disappointed love, the challenges of love, the glory. Isn't that right? I mean, what do you think? 80%, maybe more? 80%. And so you remember that song, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. And so we have been talking about that love, which is indigenous. You know what I mean by indigenous? Is what? Native to, as a part of God's own nature. It is indigenous to God. And we have talked about God's love being radically and completely, and I think we're getting it now, totally distinct from, other than, different than any love that we have ever known or experienced. We may have a glimpse and a, and a little bit of, 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 of experience in it. But the love of God itself has never been experienced by any person on earth until God places his love within the heart of that person. Correct? And so we've seen that the love of God is his intra-Trinitarian relational fellowship of love. It's this community of three divine, equal, distinct persons living in a community or in a fellowship relating to one another in an atmosphere, if you would, of mutual love. Each loving the other perfectly, consistently, always, without error each receiving the love that way and each then reciprocating or returning that love to the one who has loved him. So the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Holy Spirit. The Son loves the Father. The Son loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And so this is the love of God that we've been speaking about. And we have been coming to a place, 
hopefully the Holy Spirit has been bringing us to a place of, if you would, climbing the mountaintop to get to the pinnacle, the highest place of God's love. And last week we talked about the Father's love for the Son. And we remember this, and please get this, what the gospel is about, what the creation is about, it is about God the Father, God the Father's eternal purpose. What does eternal mean? It's always been because God has always been. There was no beginning. There was no ending. The gospel, the Bible, our lives, creation, everything about me, everything about you is about the fulfillment of the Father's eternal purpose. What? To have a people, to have a community which he creates in whom or in which community God will create a people who experience and who express the very same love that God himself among these three, peop- three, three persons experience and express to one another. Do we get that? So what do we see? In Genesis one twenty six? the Lord says what? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is the eternal purpose of God the Father. And in order to carry out this eternal purpose, the Father uses the Son as his agent of creation. I think some of this is in the notes. I remember a little bit of it, but I'm just moving right now as I see fit to do. He uses the Son as his agent of creation. Now, what does this show? This shows that the Father loves the Son He honors the Son. He trusts the Son, obviously. He commits to the Son. He defers to the Son the very highest ministry. The very highest ministry. Do we see that? The Father gives to the Son the very highest, most significant ministry. And what is that ministry, Herman? What is it? To create the worlds for the purpose of fulfilling his Father's will. Do we get that? Are you with me now? And so we do not become the objects of God's love. The object of the Son's love is to do the will of the Father. The object of the Father's love is to send the Son. The object of the Holy Spirit's love is to implement or apply all of that to us. And all of it's done for this purpose, so that in us, God may have a people whom he loves. But in whom, whom he loves, but in this way, in whom his love for his son, the son's love for the father, the spirit's love for the father and son may be fully manifested in these people. So we talked a little bit about the father's love last week. Today, we come to the crescendo in the father and the son. We're at the highest point.
And really, I think what I, I feel that the Holy Spirit wants to, to get us this morning, to do with us this morning, is this. Not so much theological information. You notice how I put that. I didn't say theology. I said what? Theological information. Information that's theologically sound. Not so much that. But to allow the theological information, the doctrine, the truth, to penetrate our minds and our hearts. Because I believe the most important thing this morning is this. We probably have enough information, doctrine, Bible knowledge to know that Jesus loves us. That, yes, Jesus loves the Father. And so it's not more information I need. It's more of the smell, the aroma, the feeling, the experience of that information. So if you ask a wife or a husband, does your husband, does your wife love you? And we can give information, yes, I love my wife. I go to work every day. I earn a living. I'm paying for the house. I'm paying for the car. I'm paying for the food, right? I'm paying the bills. This is what I do all the time, right, AJ? You love Darlene because you're doing these things. The information, Darlene, is look at what he's doing. Is that sufficient for you? No. That is a platform upon which you can stand to know something about your husband in order to feel something about your husband. Is that correct? That's what we're getting at this morning. The information is a platform, a foundation, Chris, of what we know about God, what he has shown us and taught us and declared to us about himself. But one of the main areas of the platform that we are missing, if we're not careful, is allowing the presence, the person of this God to not just speak information to us, but to begin to touch our feelings, our hearts, our senses, so that we can experience the love of God. Remember what we said in Ephesians 3.19, I think it is, Paul says that you may know the love of Christ. Remember that? The word gnosko means to know through personal fellowship experience. And I think this is probably one of the areas where we really miss it, or at least we're not getting what God wants us to have as much as we need to get what he wants us to have. None of that is in the notes, so we start. The first piece of information that we learn about the Father's love is this. 
that he uses the sun as his agent in creation. Remember, we talked about that last week. And then, as a result of the fall, the father's love is demonstrated in his sending the son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, correct? In order to fulfill the father's purpose. The love of the son for the father is now being looked at from the son's response to the father's sending. The father sends because he loves the son. And so because the son reciprocally loves the father with the same intensity of love with which he is loved, because the son loves the father, he has received this loving command, what would we expect the son to do in response, in a loving response to the father's, I want to send you? What would we expect the son to do? Say what? I am willing to be what? Sent. So the father's love is seen in the sending of the son. The son's love is seen in being sent. And actually, of the two loves, now remember this. There is absolutely no distinction whatsoever in the quality and quantity and enormity of the love from the father to the son to the son to the father. It's absolutely love. Do we see that? The difference is, in the coming of the son in the incarnation, we are able to get a larger picture of what this love is all about in the humanity of this man. And so, therefore, the emphasis typically would be, and I think rightly so, on Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so how do we know the love of the Father? We know the love of the Father because he sends the Son. But that's one level. How do we know the depth of the Father's love for the Son and the depth of the Son's love for the Father? How do we know that? In the incarnation of the Son of God. That's how we know that. And so, the son's love from the fa- of the father, when does it begin? When do we see it? We see it when? In Genesis 1-1. Now, I know you probably haven't considered, we talked about this last week, Genesis 1-1 as a declaration of the love of God. How many of you ever thought about that before? We just don't. But when do we begin to see the revelation of God's love in reality? When? Genesis what? One, one. We don't see it at the cross. The cross is certainly the culmination in history in a man's life of what all of that is about before. So in Genesis 1, 1, we begin to see the light begins to be turned on. It's dim. We don't see a whole lot. We don't understand this stuff around here. We're not seeing any clarity yet, but the light begins to be turned on. So in Genesis 1, 1, we understand that the Father that the Son is the Father's agent in creation. We know that. I don't have to quote verses for you, but I will to say this. Remember in John 1, 1, what does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made or created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
So we see that. The beginning of this impartation of love is Genesis 1-1. Everything else after Genesis 1-1 is the outworking of God's eternal plan. So, but we do not yet see the son's love for the father in being his agent for creation. We quite don't see it yet. But in the incarnation, that's where we discover the cost to the son in being the creator. We don't see that in Genesis 1-1. We don't see it at all until we come to the incarnation. And so we say, yes, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Now let's stop for a moment. Let's just think. We may not get through the notes the way they are, but it's okay. I mentioned this last week, but I wanted to to sink in. The Father has always wanted to share his love with a people. Therefore, a people must be created. And so he assigns to the Son the role of creation. Remember, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're distinct only in roles, not in nature, not in substance, you know, not in the essence of the divinity. So the Father assigns this to the Son. Now stop for a moment. When the Son says yes, and we have to say it like that, but there was, it was always been, but that's how we have to talk about it. When the Son says yes... Does he know the full ramifications and implications and cost of his agreement? Does he know that? He knows it already, Wendy. He absolutely has an omniscient comprehension, perfect comprehension of absolutely every aspect that will need to be accomplished if he says yes to the Father's will. Now, just right there. Genesis 1-1. Just right there. Can we just let that sink in? What kind of love is this? That the Son of God would say yes, knowing what would happen. What kind of love does the son have for the father? That he would say yes. Think about it. We're too quick to go through the Bible. We need to slow down. Knowing everything. And what does he say? Knowing everything, I comprehensively embrace everything that will be necessary And I say, yes to my Father. Why, Phyllis? Because I love the Father. Because he loves me. Because I love him. Because he loves me. Do you see it? That circle of love. And so this is what we hear in John 15, 10. I think Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, remember, 
John 13, 14, 15, and 16, they're in the upper room. And then John 17, Jesus, they cross the Kidron Valley and they go pray. Remember that? Okay. John 15, 10. I think, I'm, I'm assuming here, but I, I, I think so. Because Jesus, this man, has a comprehension of the word that is perfect. I think in John 15, 10, Jesus has this somewhat of this understanding and meaning in his mind that we just talked about when he says, I have kept my father's eternal commandments and abide in his love. I have done this. The son of God is saying through the man Jesus, from the very beginning in Genesis 1-1 all the way to this particular point, I have kept my father's love, commandments, and I abide, abide in his love. Do you see that Loving God is a matter of obeying his will or his commandments. Therefore, the son's love for the father began to be displayed with the creation culminating in the incarnation and especially where? At the cross. That's what we're seeing in Genesis 1-1 and as we Look at Genesis 1-1 and we progress through the Bible all the way to Malachi. Remember the last prophet of the Old Testament, isn't it Malachi? Correct? Malachi, remember that? And then we start in the Gospels. We see that progression of the revelation of the kind of God this God is in loving his people and what he will do and what he will not do and how he will handle them and how he will not handle them and etc. We see that moving through the Old Testament and it culminates in the incarnation. So you see, this means that every aspect of Jesus' life, now may I say that again? Every aspect of this man's life, this man. This man in whom the Son of God dwells in bodily form. You remember in Colossians? This man who is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15. This man who is the living human in human form, the Word of God. Every aspect of this man's life is a display of what? Of what? His love for the Father. Every footstep he takes shows you how much he loves the Father. Every breath this man breathes shows you how much he loves the Father. Every beat of his heart shows you how much he loves the Father. Every word proceeding from his mouth shows you what? His love for the Father. Every demonstration of power shows you what? How much he loves the Father. Every act, no matter what it is, shows you what? What is this showing us, Anton? Jesus is telling us what? I love my Father. Correct? That's what it, you see, we need to look at Jesus' life somewhat differently than perhaps we have previously. 
Because what I'm concerned about is that we wait until the cross. There we see the love of God. No, we see the love of God in the Son's love for the Father. Beginning at creation, but then coming into visible reality when the Holy Spirit conceives this one in the womb of Mary. That's, Debbie, when we begin to see the reality in our humanity of the love of God in a brand new and full way. Correct? So let's not be categorizing it in a different way. Let's make sure we're doing it in a crescendoing way. We see that love being birthed into a young woman. And we see that love as a bright light shining more and more and more brilliantly until we come to the cross. Now, we see all of this. I'm skipping some of this, so give me a moment as I look through this. As I said before, the son's love for the father is seen how? In how the son relates to the father and how he responds to the father's will. Did we just catch that? Now, Cody, if that's correct, and it is, what does that say about my love for God, you see? The son's love for the father is seen where? It's there. It's there. It doesn't have to be displayed for it to be there. It is there. But it is being displayed to us. How? How we see the son relating to the father as his father, if you would, as his leader. And we see it in his response to the Father's will. How does the Son relate to the Father? As Father, I'm Son to Father. And how does that relationship work out in his response? In his obeying the Father's will. So that's what Jesus says in John 14. John 14, let me see where I put it. 14:31. So that the world may know that I love the Father. How do we know Jesus loves the Father? I do exactly as the Father has eternally commanded me. Now, as we talk about this, let's be careful not to isolate and encapsulate the son's love for the father as there. That same love is now where? Where is it now? Where is it now? In us. Jason, if you're born again, where is that love of God? In you. Gordon, where is it? In us. And so, when we look at Jesus' life, we're not just looking at a great man, a moral man. We're looking at the visible reality of the activity of what God's intra-Trinitarian love looks like in humanity. That's what we're looking at. The embodiment of this intra-Trinitarian relational fellowship of love, where? In humanity. And so as initially God's love was embodied in the humanity of Jesus... It was embodied in the humanity of Jesus 
Remember the incarnation. Why? So it could be embodied in us after the resurrection. And so that love which was in Jesus, which he received from the Father and which he returned to the Father, that same love is where now? In us. In us. It's not a different love. It's the same love. Now, we may experience it, and we certainly do differently. We see it in fallen, weak vessels, but it is the same love. You see, it is the revelation of this obedience where we see the culmination of the love of God. And mostly at the cross, in John 17, 10, 17, Jesus says, the Father loves me. Why? Why? Because I laid down my life. When did the Father know that Jesus would have to lay down his life? Before Genesis 1-1. When did the Son know that I will have to lay down my life? Before what? Genesis 1-1. And so now, in a human sense, we see a man upon the earth saying that the Father loves me. Why does the Father love him? Because he's obedient to the Father. So what do we see of the the Son's love? His obedience and submission to the Father's will. It is the revelation of this love that is at the center of God's intention in our salvation. So let's turn to Philippians 2, 6 through 8, and have a better understanding of this centerpiece of the the Son's love for the Father. Let's turn to that. This is possibly... I said possibly, I don't know. The clearest revelation of this intra-Trinitarian love, or at least it's right at the top with a couple of others, this passage. So let me read it to you, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Although the Son, He, existed in the form of God, remember? Remember? Hebrews 1, 3, he is a radiance of God's image, remember? I'm sorry, of God's nature. Remember that? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let's take a moment. Let's just drink this in for a moment. Verses 6 to 7, we ask this. What love is this that the eternal Son would surrender his face-to-face fellowship with the Father to live as a man? What love is this that the Son of God would set aside willingly and with joy all of his, the use of all of his prerogatives, of his own majesty, of his fellowship with the Father face to face, what kind of love is it that the Son would say, I willingly and joyfully, remember Hebrews 12 too, for the joy that was set before him, 
I willingly and joyfully accept this. Why? Because he loves the Father. What kind of love is this? And as we think about this, as I've already said, we have to think about it this way. This is the love of God which he has placed in each one of us. What kind of love is it that this eternal, divine, majestic being would surrender that face-to-face fellowship with the Father and take on a human body and soul and live among an imperfect, rebellious, sinful, fallen people in a world of corruption ruled by the God of this world, Satan, and endure all of the issues of that fallenness against himself in order to redeem us so that his Father's will may be fulfilled. What kind of love is this? There's no category for it in humanity. What love is this that the eternal Son would refuse to use his prerogatives to live in total dependence upon the Holy Spirit for his knowledge and fellowship of the Father? What kind of love is this? What love is this that the eternal Son would refuse to do anything of his own for his own human benefit, but did all for the benefit of the Father's will? Jesus did not have one thought that was not, that was rather for his own natural benefit, not one. He may have been tempted, but he didn't cooperate. He was tempted, but didn't cooperate. That means that every thought he ever had was for the benefit of serving his father's will. What kind of love is this that the eternal son would willingly and joyfully submit himself to the weaknesses of our flesh to experience temptation, to experience deprivation, to experience hunger, to experience being tired, to experience rejection, to experience misunderstanding of people? What kind of love is this? And why does he do it? Because he loves the Father. You see, it's, I'm not as interested in the information in and of itself, but allowing this information to be translated into a wonder, an amazement, a breathtaking experience. of the love of this man for his father, that love now is in us. What kind of love is this? And so when you come to verse 8, you see the heart of the son's love for the father. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, even death on the cross. 
me, one of the most amazing words is deference. You know what I mean, what deference is to defer to someone. You want to do it, and he or she wants to do it another way. And assuming the other way isn't wrong, it's a preference. What does deference mean? You do it that way. What kind of love do we see here? That we see the humility and the deference of the Son of God. Of the majestic creator himself. Laying aside willingly and joyfully all of his personal preferences, all of anything about himself or for himself specifically, and doing as he's led to do. Deference. What kind of love is this that this leader, remember, he is the leader, isn't he? He's a captain of our salvation. That this leader... would defer to others for the purpose of the Father's will. What kind of deference is this? What kind of humility is this? That would go to the garden and say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. What kind of love is this that he sets aside his own preferences in preference to the Father's will to serve us at the greatest cost to himself. You see, this is the something of the love of Jesus for the Father. This is the love that has been given to us. If you have a Bible, it may be in your notes, but I want you to make sure you get this first. Turn to John seventeen twenty six. It's one of the most astounding, moving, significant verses in the entire Bible. Somebody read it to me. Jesus is praying, and so we come to verse 26, which is a summation of everything he said. What is he saying in verse 26? Now think about that. Here is Jesus, the culmination of Jesus' prayer. Father, I've made you known. What has he made known? The Father's love. How has he made the Father's love known? By loving the Father obediently. And then he says what? And this is so significant because this is where our struggles are. Does God love me? Is his love changeable? Will my actions affect his love? And so what does Jesus say? That the very same love that the Father has for the Son, that the Son has for the Father, where is it to be placed? Where? In us. Remember Romans 5, 5, for the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, this is the love with which we are to love God. This is the love. His love in me being experienced in me and then expressed out from me to him. 
And this is the love with which we are to love one another. And here's the problem here. We are God's people, amen? That is a fact. The problem is when we are not loving one another with the very same love with which we are loved and we are insulting God's grace and we are lying about the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father. That's the essential dastardliness of how we act if we're not flowing in this love of God. Next week, we've been talking about the intra-Trinitarian love. Next week, we'll start talking about what? The extra, how that love of God begins to be expressed toward us and in us. Amen? Okay.